Welcome to our Fusion Base podcast, A Small Glass of Seawater. Is it small? No, it's not <laughs> small. It's exactly what like you did the first time, yeah. and it works. All right, fine. Welcome to our Fusion podcast, A Glass of Seawater. My name is Babin Patel, and I am joined by many other people. To my right, we have Joe. I'm a Welsh cake. <laughs> Charlie. Hey. Andy. I've been talking all day. Will. I do know what to say. <laughs> and oh, Phil. I can't swear either. Hi. Hi. Hello. So, uh, Phil, being a new member, we can can we get a quick introduction off of you? Who are you? Why are you here? What's your project? Yeah, What's sure. Your project? Um, my name's Phil. Uh, I'm working in the inertial confinement fusion portion of the whole fusion movement. And I'm looking at how we can improve the yield of the fusion reaction by applying magnetic fields to it. Basically what we're all doing. <laughs> was that was that way too much? <laughs> Fine. Uh, and so close to what any of us is doing. We have magnetic fields and fusion and stuff. Yeah, but it's explicitly, he takes the little, he takes the laser one and puts a magnetic, I had a question on this today, takes the laser one and puts a magnetic field over the top of it. And some of our keen listeners may remember we have Will. I think even the keen ones won't remember Will. <laughs> Will would like to reintroduce himself to our many listeners. Will? Hey guys, uh, I'm Will. Unlike the majority of the people on this podcast, I do fusion with lasers. Inertial confinement fusion, and more specifically, my PhD looks at alternative ignition schemes. So there's different ways to get this fusion reaction to happen, uh, injecting fast electron beams or big shocks, and that's what I do. And today's episode, we're talking about fusion energy, what it is, and why we want it. On a fusion podcast. On a fusion podcast, who would have thought? I feel like Babs increased the volume of his voice to try and combat with Charlie from the first episode. No, Charlie was just very close to the mic. I'm being quite loud because it's easier. It makes you enunciate better as well. It does make me enunciate, and I'm very bad at mumbling. At what? Mumbling. Mumbling. (laughs) So uh, we're going to talk about what fusion is on Earth, as opposed to last episode, where we just talked about what fusion is in general. So would anyone like to take the floor and just introduce fusion energy? What is fusion energy, Will? That is literally what I. That is literally what I just said. Yeah, and I want Will to explain <laughs> it. To us. Charlie, Will, let's see. If you want an in-depth explanation, you can listen to our last episode. But on Earth, uh, specifically, the fuel we're talking about is deuterium and tritium, two isotopes of hydrogen. Uh, we get those. We increase their temperature until they form a plasma, and then keep increasing their temperature until they're hot enough to fuse together and this process makes energy and that's that's what we're doing it for well already I would dispute that we necessarily have to do deuterium tritium just because it's on earth all we mean by on earth is not the sun yes so the sun does everything from protons to iron we do deuterium tritium because it's easy um, and well easier we do these things not because they're hard <laughs> No, we're definitely doing this one. Except when we do yeah, take that moon landings. <laughs> we take the easy route. <laughs> we're still not there. But the point being that we do deuterium deuterium as well as deuterium deuterium. There's lots of different fuels you can use. We should probably preface this with the fact that the fusion we're attempting on Earth is to actually generate energy to be used in your homes to power your light bulbs and your fridges and whatever you want to power at home. Mm. So what we're attempting is essentially creating a new energy supply using fusion, hence fusion energy. But what's probably quite interesting about that is we're still essentially, although the source of the energy itself is incredibly high-tech and interesting and super cool, uh, we're essentially using like centuries-old methods of 
actual generation of electricity by heating a sort of coolant fluid and then sending that through a turbine. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we have this it. amazing way of creating lots of heat, but we still use nineteenth-century technology <laughs> to convert it to electricity. Good old Victorian <laughs> turbines. Well, that, that was the last revolution. Yeah, these things go through. Just, that was a big one. This Don't fix it, ain't broke. We're essentially building the most complicated and expensive kettle on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. actually a good one. Beautiful sound by Bath. Can can we use? I think I've heard that if you use proton boron instead of anything else, you can because protons are charged. We oh, usually right. use neutrons that aren't. You could directly couple into an electric field in principle. You wouldn't need all of that faff about lithium blankets and turbines and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, Okay, so we can get into why proton boron won't work in a future <laughs> episode. But, I mean, in terms of going back to the old Victorian method, I mean, it doesn't need to be improved because it's ridiculously... It's very, very efficient. efficient. So, I mean, the only uh, energy production methods that I can think of that don't use that are hydro, wave, and... Yeah, at the end of the day, they're still using water to turn generators, so... The dam. Yeah, but they're, so, um, they're, it's essentially the same system, but they're, they're still using the sun's energy, right? But mm-hmm. that's just... There's not, not a lot of potential energy in that system. So I mean, so perhaps we can restate the question then and use the, the, the question I've been using all day. So um, I should come out, I should say what I've been doing. I've been, I've, uh, we've been doing a, an outreach workshop thing today for a whole bunch of year 12 students and teaching them what fusion is and giving them the sort of 45 minute version of all of these podcasts put together, which was quite ambitious it turns out. But the question we used there on fusion energy was, can we invent a fuel source, because we like fuels for all the reasons we like fuels that I'm sure we will talk about sooner or later, that is highly energy efficient, which is what fusion offers, that is clean, i.e. not a fossil fuel-based energy source, and is inherently completely safe, i.e. better than fission. What do you mean energy efficient? I mean, you get a whole ton of energy out for the amount of energy you put in. Can I just make a caveat as to um, clean being specifically, when you're talking about cleanliness, you can talk about fossil fuels because they are... Next to godliness. <laughs> uh, they are dirty in the sense that they uh, have CO2 emissions, but you shouldn't forget that renewables aren't without their CO2 emissions as well. There's CO2 emissions in constructing photovoltaics. You, when you think about these things, you have to think of them from the production line to decommission. Sure. And fission energy, I actually don't know. And uranium mining. And, well. But it's all going to be manufacturing, isn't it? So as your manufacturing still uses fossil fuels. But the point I'm making, even renewable uh, renewables have a high carbon footprint. And when we're talking nuclear energy, fission certainly has a much lower carbon footprint than solar and, um, and hydro, I believe. But feasibly, if you ran these factories that made the renewable things off electricity from renewables, then you're like decreasing the carbon footprint. It's just that's, that's, that's the same for all the technologies, though. There's a disposal cost in the materials you use in that's all yeah, the all sorts of things. It's, yeah, it's worth considering the whole cycle. In fact, yeah. you have to consider the whole cycle. Otherwise, mm. what are you really doing? Well, As you, uh, I've even heard some rumours as to the fact that uh, some, some oh, no. wind farms might actually be proved to be energy negative as well. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, but renewables are great, you just need to do it the right way. Just need to be careful. And additionally, um, although we talk about fusion as being wonderfully clean, obviously there are going to be problems with radioactivity and activation of the materials that constitute the reactor as well. Well, that's not so, necessarily obvious. Why obviously, Phil? Why so are there going to be radioactive materials? Because we have um, all of these really energetic charged particles coming out and we've got things like X-rays being produced in the reaction they then react with the walls of the chamber um, that contain the reaction 
and then they lead to all sorts of like damage properties like they can corrode the wall but also they can actually cause the atoms in the wall to break down and become radioactive. You mentioned that the charged particles are the ones doing all of this what we call transmutation so changing the wall to something else chemically mm. but it's actually the neutrons that end up doing most of the damage. So yeah, you, yeah, for yeah, example yeah, the true. reaction that we're focusing on is deuterium tritium so you have a deuterium and a tritium atom combining to get a helium nucleus and a neutron. And it's that pesky little neutron is what causes any possible material damage, any radiation damage that causes... That's essentially the biggest problem in terms of materials. But the neutron also gives us a, a, a method of actually extracting that energy out and turning all of that kinetic energy of those particles into heat, turning that heat into steam, turning the steam to turn a generator and then power your light bulbs and bridges. So the reason uh, neutrons are pesky little things, as Bab so aptly put it, is they don't have a charge. So these, if we're talking about tokamaks, these big magnetic fields that we're confining plasmas in, neutrons don't see them at all. They just fly straight out as soon as they're created. So they can just hit whatever they're directed at and cause the problems that Bab just said. Right, but this seems to have hit a downer very quickly. Yeah, I think we should. We should <laughs> the point was we were trying to be clean and we were yeah. trying to be safe. And I think we do this self-aware, and we say to ourselves that we know for sure we have to be cleaner. Well, mm. cleaner defined as less radioactive in this case than fission. So you know we're, we're doing that. We're, we're well, the great thing about the global fusion program is that we have these goals yeah. for making our materials less radioactive, and we can make life a lot easier for ourselves if we didn't care about what materials we used and what came out of it. But the great thing about the fusion program is that there are goals for keeping the radioactivity levels low. Yeah, so, so to me, fusion energy is right from the plasma physics that actually gets the energy out all the way through all the auxiliary systems of like the engineers that build the thing, uh, as we just talked about, like turbines to actually extract the energy. And then going into the building, you've got in the fusion program, as Charlie's talking about, a wealth of material scientists looking to design the best materials. So, as Andrew said, uh, we're less radioactive in the end than fission. A lot, be more, a lot, yeah. So that, for instance, a plant could maybe be left for less than a hundred years, and in that time, it becomes completely down to the background I, levels of radiation. I, I I think it's worth expanding slightly on what we mean by less radioactive. The one of the one of the main issues with um, fission fuels is radioactive waste, obviously. But one of the key advantages of fusion radioactive waste is it has a much shorter half-life. Essentially, this stuff decays a lot faster and disappears. So whereas fission waste, you have to leave beyond lifetime of most people. You just, just have to stay there and keep... All people. <laughs> like we're talking like thousands yeah. of years. <laughs> um, fusion, fusion waste. Well, yeah, I didn't know the exact magnitude. I just wanted to keep it vague. Yeah. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we had it quoted uh, to us the other day about uh, one of the main aims of radioactive waste in fusion is after 100 years of fully operating fusion to be adding no more radioactive waste to the total collection as it's decaying as fast as we produce it. The plan is not to build up a large stockpile, it's to produce as much as is just naturally going away. Yeah, it's 80 years till you can handle it. Right. Uh, yeah, like literally touch it. Let's be clear, we're not bashing fission, it has its place. Uh, we're just, fusion is trying to be better than, which I think new technologies always should seek to be better than what already exists. 
I mean, fission is a great, great option, especially nowadays when plants are getting cheaper and easier to build. It'll definitely play a big role in yeah, on the it has to, anyway. It has to play well, a, a big yeah. role. We were listening to a TED Talk earlier, actually, and it became fairly obvious from that that fission is probably the only thing that is going to actually avert... Well, actually, avert is probably the wrong word. We're in a climate crisis that's going to get us out of it without just total destruction yeah. of the environment. So um, only like definitely. mitigation option. It, yes, essentially. So fusion is the fantastic goal, which, when applied, will make our energy hopefully more stable and cleaner for a practically indefinite period. However, in the short term, fission seems like definitely. Yeah, because, because we need to be doing something to... now, <laughs> and fission is what's available. Well, we need exactly. to be doing something 20 years ago. But this, right. I mean, this, this reminds me, so I was talking to a friend of mine who did his master's degree in war studies, uh, and I was describing what we do to him, and his sort of strategic evaluation of, of our field was fusion oh, wow. is the end game energy source, Yeah, um, yeah, yeah but yeah. it's not. Is not a, a short-term solution to anything. I, I would argue oh, that cool. solar should be the end game energy source. Yeah. I mean, at, at the very end of the day, because you don't want to be putting any more energy into the system than is coming in from the sun. So, yeah, at the end of the day, you want to get all of your energy from renewables. I mean, it doesn't have to be solar, right? Well, because wind, tidal, that tidal. all comes from the sun. Yeah. I don't know whether I agree with that, but I feel like we're getting off topic if we delve too much. <laughs> Why do you not agree with that? Well, because I feel like just in terms of maybe like energy density and stuff, like the idea of just making vast swathes of land into just solar panels and stuff. That is a good oh, Phil, you're thinking too small. You're going for Dyson spheres. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. That so, but before we go to Brian, <laughs> the, the issue with the large amount of solar is I do think it, you, you have to have an imbalance in who supplies the energy. Big places where you can build all this um, so solar energy is in developing countries where there's lots of space and they've not spread out much. So the there's some sort of unfair imbalance there where you, you, you say to people, you can't expand into these areas because we need this area to power the rest of the world. So I'm gonna bring us a bit back on topic. So there's something in the fusion energy world called the Lawson Criteria. So the Lawson criteria is a multiple of three different things. Phil, would you like to quickly go through what the Lawson criteria is? Criterion. Yeah. Criterion. I, I would say that. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies, my dear. That's quite right. So basically we've got NT tau is the way we normally describe it. And the N in this equation is the density. So T is the temperature and tau is the confinement time. Basically, we want to maximise um, the product of all three of these quantities. You need your fuel to be sufficiently dense so that your reaction can take place as fast as possible. You need it to be very hot for similar reasons. You need the particles to have a high enough energy, essentially, to smash into each other, overcome um, repulsive forces, etc. And then we also have um, the confinement time. So, obviously, the longer you can keep these particles reacting... Um, yeah, the conditions, um, then obviously you will produce more energy as a result. Can I say three, maybe four very quick things about this? I feel like they're not going to be quick. But they're going to be so quick. Go on. <laughs> so, uh, thank you. Thank you, Pat. Uh, so Lawson, uh, when he found it, only identified N and tau. He forgot to mention T because it's a function of T. So anyway, so whether this is actually Lawson's criterion is disputed. We otherwise call it the triple product, fusion triple product. Lawson described it as a very severe criterion which gives you some idea of what we're up against. Uh, T is interesting because T temperature has a minimum in the middle, 
And so if it's too slow, they don't have enough energy to react. If it's too fast, the reactions are too short. So you have to you have a sweet spot in the middle, which is good for optimizing it. And four, it's a figure of merit. So we don't care about the units, but we do care about the number. And Will has committed this number to memory over the course of the day. Yeah. Will, what is the number we have to be greater than? 3.4 times 10 to the 20. Oh, whatever the units, units are. <laughs> So yeah, this is here first on a glass of seawater. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. this figure of merit is that we want these three things to multiply together and be bigger than this number. But what does it actually mean if the product of those numbers are bigger than 3.4 times 10 to the 20? So this yeah. is, this is the ignition criterion for uh, a self-sustaining burn. So essentially this is the point at which you can, if your inputs are the power from your fusion reaction and the power you use to heat it, and then you have the energy coming out, when you hit this number, you can turn uh, the fusion heating to zero and get a continuous uh, self-sustaining reaction. I.e., if you're bigger than this number, you get gain. It's the same way with a, with a fire. A fire fuels itself. All you have to do is add more more wood to a fire, right? You, you can say a fire has achieved ignition. All it needs is more fuel. So right. okay. that's where you want to be with fusion, right? Yes. You've, yeah, I, like I was like so close to coming up with like a Babin picture time. Oh, yeah, let's redo that. <laughs> redo that with Babin picture time because I like Babin picture time. Let's call it Babin's picture time. Let's not. It's up to you. Let's not. We can you have a jingle for it. We could have a jingle Babin's for it. Babin's picture time. That is the jingle. <laughs> awesome note. Babin. Definitely. The way someone actually explained it to me once is let's say you have a barbecue and you want to light the barbecue. What's on the barbecue? Oh, I am a vegetarian, so, so some delicious. vegetarian sausages, some mushrooms, some halloumi. Halo- I love halloumi. I decide three choices are available. I can't eat salmon, dude. It's for me. What about okay. like red peppers? So if you imagine you have this barbecue, you have this, you have all your fuel, all that energy stored in your coal, and you're trying to figure out a way of getting it out. So one way of doing it is literally having a blowtorch on the coal and just continuously heating up the coal. The point at which you reach ignition is when you can take away the blowtorch and the barbecue will keep going of its own accord. Like the coal is heating itself, it's accessing energy itself, you don't have to put anything in. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get to that point where we don't have to put anything into our fusion reactions, into our reactors. As soon as we can take away that hypothetical blowtorch, then we have reached ignition and it's self-sustaining and everyone goes up to have a barbecue. Well, apart from the fuel, right? Yeah, you, you, have, to, fuel, yeah. you have to keep the fuel going. So and in terms of tokamaks, say, yeah. you still have the energy of running your magnets. So it's not like you're turning all the systems off. It's just mm. that your energy out is much greater than the energy you're having to put in mm. to confine your plasma. And yes, to, there's to everything, all the auxiliary systems. Yeah. So there's a bunch of different ways where we define Q, literally for the plasma, for the reactor, for... You know, so you've got to be careful which one. What's Q, Andrew? Ah, good point. Q is uh, the ratio of, well, this is the exact point I'm uh, making, but so it's the ratio of the energy you put into the energy you get out, but which two of those numbers you use is, is up to you. And if you're an engineer, you scoff at physicists and say, actually, you're nowhere near the right number because your electricity grid is rubbish and your connections are poor. And inefficient. <laughs> <laughs> but... But we got quite excited about the idea that if the plasma is producing a whole bunch of fusion power, that's that's good enough for us. Job done. Move on to the engineers to fix the rest. Who tells you these stories, Bab? Is what I wanted to know. You said somebody explained it to you. I that actually way. don't remember, but I, it I think dream? it was on a talk. Like, yeah, it's it's a dream. Dream. <laughs> it wasn't a dream. It came to me. <laughs> I want to come to your barbecue. <laughs> 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 I just use like matches and stuff. It's My so dad boring. uses a hot air gun. Ooh. 
what is a hot air gun? Oh, that's it, not over there. It's cool. literally what it says it is. It's, it's like it's a hairdryer. It's a very powerful hairdryer. It I use one to fix my PlayStation. Random side note. Going back to the Lawson criteria, so we have NT Tau. Essentially, we don't have much wiggle room with T, as Andrew mentioned. There's that sweet little spot that we want to hit. So we have two options of either increasing Tau, the time we contain it for, or increasing density. And this has quite naturally led to two separate routes to fusion that generally are known as MCF, which is magnetically confined fusion, and ICF, which is inertially confined fusion. And these are both honestly quite drastically different, with Europe mostly focusing on MCF and I think America having a lot more research and a lot more progress on ICF. I, I guess the reasons why. I mean, in terms of national agenda, <laughs> sure, but I mean, America has, you know, a dozen MCF experiments and France is really good at laser stuff. Yeah. So that's we've got, got some really nice laser stuff. Oh, we've got all in one. going to one this weekend. I'm off to Volcom Get one. you. Do do? Wonderful, high intensity laser science. Very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> no, <'cause laughs> lasers, big lasers don't make that noise. What do you mean? They go, Right, that's kind of interesting. Huge lasers, they don't, the, the noise that's made is when the actual beam is put into what you call a beam dump. You excess energy, you dump into a into a, a screen. Beam dump. You hit a screen essentially. That's the only thing that makes the noise. The laser it itself. Like? It's like a, it's like a crash. It just made the noise. It's like so I have a question for you, Bav. Yes. MCF and ICF. Yes. Which one of those is which way around in terms of maximizing N and tau? Right. So MCF attempts to increase the confinement time. So you can imagine a, a generic MCF reactor as a kind of a donut and a donut of plasma. So this donut of plasma is kept in shape by a whole bunch of magnets. So these magnets are essentially maintaining this donut shape and trying to keep all of the plasma in. You can imagine just trying to squeeze in like a balloon and trying to hold it in from a bunch of different sides. And I, that, like, I like to think our listeners are sophisticated enough that we could say Taurus. Taurus. Instead of donut. No, no I think Babs forgot donut. the word Taurus. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I honestly think... I don't... When did you ever donuts. come off come across the word Taurus? If you weren't so this very much on this course. I, <laughs> yeah, but we're, I we're had no idea what Taurus was before, like, a year ago. Just, oh. just throwing that out there. We're going for a wide range of people. Ring donut, everyone knows what ring donut is. Ring donut, yeah, I should specify a ring donut. Is it, is it ice day? Yeah, it's opposed to sugar. We need to stay well, on track. Well, we have deviated a lot on this episode. But that's good stuff. <laughs> Spherical Tokamak isn't a ring donut, it's a cord apple. Oh, but it's. <laughs> there's a hole in the middle, and it's like. Well, there isn't. There is. There's a very small hole. You just yeah. said a cord apple. A cord apple has a hole in the middle. There's no plasma in the middle. What I'm saying is the plasma makes a ring. Essentially, MCF. Essentially, MCF is a ring of plasma, and its shape is maintained by magnetic fields. And these magnetic fields are attempting to hold the plasma in for long enough that the fusion reaction can happen. In terms of ICF. I think we should hand it over to an ICF expert, like world-renowned guru, a guru of ICF. Like he doesn't even need to introduce what he does. Oh, is Chris coming? Will? Oh, please! I really thought you were going to say Phil. I thought I thought it was going to be Phil as well. I definitely thought it was going to be Phil. Seriously, he doesn't need to introduce himself. I guess we all know how how everyone feels about the world in this ICF. So we. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> what was the question? Um, so yeah, we heard that you're increasing tau for MCF for ICF inertial confinement fusion. That is, you're increasing uh, density. 
you do this by using lasers to essentially force a plasma to high densities with a rocket. You, you heat the outside of this capsule. The plasma comes so hot that it ejects loads of material outwards in every direction. And this sends a compression wave inwards. That creates incredibly high densities, but for a very small amount of time. Because as you fire this material off the outside, obviously there's only so much material that can be fired off. So eventually you've shot off so much material that you're not confining um, your plasma anymore. So it's about achieving these high densities, but very small amount of time. So whereas an MCF reaction was more of a continuous operation for several minutes, hours, however long uh, it ends up going, this is, ICF is much more of a pulsed operation doing very high rep rates of this uh, spherical implosion on these um, fuel capsules, which has its many advantages, which hopefully I'll be able to fight its corner. Yeah, so what, what, what's the aim to do like 10 a second, 10 of these pellets? Yeah. 10 hertz is a number that I've heard frequently, but have yet to, I'm not, myself, I'm not yet myself to actually find uh, the proof. I'm not dissing it, I'm saying that's really cool. That would be like a super cool end. Yeah, it'd be really, really cool, <laughs> but also really, really difficult. Because <laughs> you've got this chamber that's something like 10 meters across. So that means that every 10th of a second, you have to be firing a pellet from the edge of the chamber to the centre of the chamber. Just to be clear, it's not like a basketball-sized pellet. It's just like a millimetre. It's probably less than a millimetre. Yeah, the chamber is technically as wide. Pe- people have... It's even worse. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been an experiment done, but I, one, people have run simulations to model the deformation of a DT capsule, and it doesn't seem to be an issue. And it's supposed to build hyper as well. But, I mean, the, the deformation limits are... In- Incredibly small. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people are quite confident that we can overcome these challenges if ignition yeah. is reached. I mean, this is just talking about the yeah. criteria. There are much worse problems yeah. than that, to be fair. Shh. Um, and, and also, <laughs> this is why we ask well. But, but also, it all domains of fusion anyway, so there's lots of challenges. Yeah. But yeah, um, wherever you look, there's a really difficult problem to solve. To solve, yeah, which we will solve. It's just which one will be first. Yeah. Some of us are focusing on like the physical fundamental challenges. And then once those are sorted out, we just give it to an engineer and just be like, here you go, good luck, and hope for the best. And then they do the really exciting things. They yeah. do the really exciting, hard things. We should really talk to material science sometime. Oh, we, we should get an engineer. Some of the stuff that engineers do, that, oh, just like as an example, the interlocking between the magnets that have to be able to have free movement but still be able to conduct. That I am explaining awfully because I'm a physicist. There's the engineering is incredible. We don't give it enough credit sometimes. The stuff that they come up with. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should have a minute silence to respect <laughs> our fellow engineers. Shout out to ed- editing Bath. Why silence? I hope this is going well. I'm sorry for we deviating. Like oh, okay. Can you just put a minute silence in? We'll just go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, five seconds of applause for our engineering fellows. I feel I feel like now we've given engineers credit, we're now gonna have to credit everyone. So we'll just we'll just insert a list of all the people we'd like to thank for fusion. (laughs) Bav Bav will sort that out. (laughs) I think that might be the first time physicists have credited engineers properly. Oh, this is like a one-time thing, engineers. You're not gonna get this again. (laughs) (laughs) This is this is too 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 much for them anyway. They probably won't be able to follow up to this point. So any engineer would have stopped listening by now. Just well, a bit that's bad that. <laughs> you got anything to say about material science? No. <laughs> <laughs> I have great should... respect for material science. <laughs> I've heard that about you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah material scientists are like another major aspect 
uh, of people involved in the fusion community. Yeah. But we kind of covered that. So we can come back to the, the MCF-ICF boxing match in some later chats, I'm sure. Which is a very, like, you know, supportive boxing match. We both it's, want each other a, to succeed. A friendly rivalry. Yeah, friendly yeah. rivalry. I mean, yeah. it's a clear winner, but it's a friendly rivalry. So both, <laughs> both, both people are sort of pretending to punch, yeah. but really they're yeah. just hugging. Yeah. yeah. We both feel the same goal in the end, like... Whichever one succeeds, I just want them to succeed. And there are parallels. I mean, happily, ICF has like ancillary goals of you know stockpile stewardship and stuff. So you know, yeah. it's do- it's doing good. Yeah. Oh, it's just as a final thing to say in uh, this ICF MCF, the fact that it is collaborating. The way I sort of see the place of ICF is MCF are further, but ICF offers a different enough path that it may once MCF is up and running. Or if it's not up and running, or if it nearly gets there, ICF might be able to offer a slightly alternative route that actually works if MCF doesn't work. Although I'm, I'm, probably, I'm pretty sure it would. But I more believe that ICF might be able to offer an alternative, better path in, in some way. And I can already suggest a few ways that it might, but we won't go into those. You're only pretty sure MCF will work, not totally sure. Because it will well, definitely work. So I think we should definitely return to our agenda. Should have a silent period. So yeah. Have fun editing this, Bav. Can we put in my little Easter eggs for Bav to just listen to whilst he's editing? You know, yeah, I already farted into the mic when you left right. <laughs> editing, <laughs> editing, Bav. I really appreciate everything you do. I'm not gonna lie. Like two times. As you guys are talking, I'm actually picturing the audio waveforms and what they're gonna look like. Like I'm like, oh, there's an arm. I have to cut that. Oh, no, he's gonna be too loud here. Oh no, there's. Bit of a pause here, I'm it's just like the Matrix. Like, suddenly you start seeing and editing. Yeah. You don't even, you don't even see. Oh, what do you do? One episode. All I see is Lady in Red Dress. 